Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, we are looking back at one of Carolina's more disappointing efforts in Keenan Stadium since Mac Brown has returned to, camp- to campus. Maybe the most disappointing effort on Saturday Against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, a chance for the Tar Heels to go to 4-0 for the first time since 1997. A chance for them to beat the Irish for just the third time in program history. And a a chance to really sort of validate themselves after a 3-0 start that I think left a lot of people questioning this team. And As they showed on Saturday, it was rightfully so. So we're going to break it all down for you guys here, but we're going to start by taking a look at the box score here, which is presented by Raycon Wireless Headphones, and uh, it, it was not a pretty one for Carolina. Man, they got off to a tremendous start out of the gate, but... Uh, this this one I really got off track quickly for Carolina after they took the early seven to nothing lead. They would trail by as much as twenty five in the second half against the Fighting Irish and uh, Carolina on the day uh, did allow five hundred and seventy six yards of total offense to the Irish. Uh, 287 of which came on the ground for the Irish, 289 through the air for their quarterback, Drew Pine. Uh, they were uh, It's a ton of success for Notre Dame on third down, 8 of 14, uh, and 6.8 yards per play. I think that kind of tells the story uh, of exactly what this game was for a Notre Dame team that methodically moved the ball up and down the field. For Carolina, 367 yards of total offense, 301 passing yards in the game, just 66 
yards on the ground for the Tar Heels. Believe it or not, this was a relatively clean game uh, through the first half. I had pointed out to you when we were in the stadium that uh, there were very few penalty flags, maybe a, a little few too many penalty flags in that first half. But Carolina actually finished the day with nine penalties for 64 yards. Uh, the Irish just five for 46 yards in this one. And uh, for Carolina, 6.1 yards per, per play, not too bad. Six of 14 on third down, not terrible. But uh, just it, overall, uh, when it mattered the most, uh, you know, the, the Irish were able to make things happen. Carolina went through a stretch where Notre Dame scored seven of eight drives. During that same time period, Carolina went six drives without scoring. So the score was a lot closer. In terms of the yards that were that were that you see on the box score, Carolina looked a lot closer than they probably ultimately were in this one, and so uh, it's it's an effort that I think Carolina fans will want to have back uh, for years to come in a game that felt more than winnable coming in. And uh, this look at the box score is presented by Raycon wireless headphones. Guys, I've been telling you about these for the last couple of weeks and you do not want to miss the opportunity to check these out. Look, I have been listening to most of the games so far this year on my new Raycon wireless earbuds, and guess what? It has been great because of them. Uh, they they have you know they have eight hours of playtime, thirty two hour battery life, so it doesn't die during the games. I'm going to have to use them again this weekend, unfortunately, for the game against Virginia Tech because we got Charlotte FC playing this weekend. Carolina's got the three thirty kick, so I will have to use them once again, and I don't have to worry about them dying on me when I do that. The other thing I don't have to worry about it, they do not fall out ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me, Raycon's wireless, uh, excuse me, Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. Raycon's are priced just right so that you get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. We know those AirPods, some of those Sony headphones, they're extremely expensive, not Raycon everyday earbuds. Uh, It's no wonder that they have been reviewed all uh, over 50,000 times with a five-star rating. Make sure you guys uh, are, 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 you know, when you're looking through these ty- these different types of headphones, you are finding the ones that have those ratings because, you know, people have tried them before and are giving you their feedback. Uh, and and 50,000 five-star reviews is absolutely tremendous some of the my favorite features that you have with them the ear t- uh, earbud tap functions which allow you to uh, sort of move on if you're listening to a podcast if you're listening to this podcast or uh, you're listening to another podcast you want to move on uh, uh, in the podcast or even to the next episode it has the earbud tap functions and it's also got the noise isolation so it can sort of block out everything that is going on around you and it's it's with earbuds guys 
guys. It's not headphones that have to go over your ears, so it's not severely obvious, but it still does a good job of blocking all that out so that you can hear things clearly in your ears. Go to buyraycon.com today and use the promo code TPPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TPPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TPPN15. All right, so I, I, I there's only one place to begin with this. You can you can look at the offense's success, the fact that Drake May had another good game, but we'll have to save that until the end of this podcast because it's got to start on the defensive side of the football. And I think we kind of laid it out there before this game. It was pretty clear that coming off a of bye week against your first Power 5 opponent and against a team that, I mean, look, you're going to clearly play worse teams on your schedule. There's no doubt about that. But it was a team that came in struggling more than just about any other team, probably the team you play this week, actually, offensively. This was going to be the defense's chance to build off of what they did late against Georgia State and show everyone that, look, there really is something here. It just took us time to get it rolling. Well, that was not even remotely the case in this game for Carolina. 576 yards of total offense, as I said. 45 points allowed to an offense that entered the game averaging just thirty, uh, averaging just 300.3 yards of total offense per game and 18.3 points per game heading in. Keep in mind that they had surpassed both of those totals actually even the total yards by one by one yard they had surpassed both of those totals by halftime yep they had 24 points at halftime how many points had they scored what was the most points that they had scored in a game coming into Saturday's matchup in Keenan Stadium it was 24 against Cal wasn't it yes yeah and they had that in the first half they made they, no, they had that in a quarter. They, well, that's true too because the Carolina actually did not let them score in the first half, in the first quarter. And this is the this is the thing that was so shocking. First two defensive drives of the game, you really thought Carolina had something. They get the three and out. You, you, the defensive front looked really good getting off the ball. They batted down a couple of passes. It looked promising for Carolina out of the gate. And then your offense puts you in a bad spot on, you know, they're backed up. Ben Kiernan has to punt out of his own end zone. And you give up 17 yards, just enough to allow Notre Dame to get into field goal range but force a long field goal that the Irish miss. And to that point, you were feeling pretty confident. I mean, I think everybody that was in the stadium seem to be saying, well, okay, well, there's there's something here. This looks this looks promising. Especially after you drove down and scored on the first drive of the game. But you go to the third drive and Carolina's faced with a third and seven to get off the field for the third time. It would be their second three and out 
off the field three straight drives to begin the game. And if they would have gotten off the field as well, that would have been the seventh consecutive drive that the defense would have gotten off the field dating back to the game against Georgia State. And on third and seven, Drew Pine scrambles for a 12-yard gain, and that completely changed everything. That was the last time it felt like Carolina got a stop in that game. The shocking part, remember, the first three and out of the game forced the Irish into a punt. Do you know how many punts Notre Dame had after that moment? Zero. They did not punt another time in the game. It's, I I mean, I don't really know what else you can say. Um, other than this, I mean, dude, this defense is just, I I mean, we know it. This defense right now is, is a liability even the way to put it? (laughs) Like, I don't even know. I, this may be the worst defense that Carolina has ever had. And that is really, really saying a lot because at least when you look back on some of those Vic Coning defenses, some of those. John Papuchas defenses, there wasn't the talent level that you saw with this team. We were told all offseason about how great the talent was. To be honest, it's not even we were told. We could we can see the talent that is there. It is on paper. But that's all it is. I mean, that's it. It it it, it doesn't it doesn't translate to the field. Um I this team isn't mentally tough defensively. And that's a direct reflection of coaching. They're 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 not they're not coached to be tough. They don't handle adversity well. And I know what they did at App State where they made the plays they had to make after they gave up forty points to win the game. I know what they did at Georgia State after giving up twenty one straight points at one point in the game. I know what they did then. All that was irrelevant on Saturday. You were playing an offense that we told you had two players. Chris Tyree, a very good running back. Michael Mayer, he's he's either the best or the second best tight end in the country, if you want to argue if Brock Bowers is a better tight end. I mean, and here's the thing. Both of them had pretty quiet starts to the season before then. So And and Saturday you got you got beat by two guys. More so, this was an offense that the week before was playing so bad that their offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, got caught on national television cussing his quarterback out and had to later issue an apology for cussing out his quarterback. That same offense that could not move the ball consistently against Cal Racked up 45 points, all those yards, in three quarters. Because in the first quarter, they did they did absolutely nothing. You're talking about a Notre Dame team that, look, we thought with the way they played against Ohio State was different because they competed their tails off. And they took what is probably the third best team right now in the country, 60 minutes. They then... Turned around and lost at home to Marshall. And then almost lost at home to Cal. 
that same team came into your building and in one quarter punked you and made your team quit, and we were there, there was nothing in that stadium. A stadium that was buzzing leading up to the game, that was as loud as we've heard it after that opening drive when they went down and scored the touchdown. I mean, the team went into the halftime locker room. There was no cheering. There was no nothing. When the team came out of the halftime locker room, there was no cheering, no nothing. That's how bad this defense is. It has taken the life out of out of the fan base. It's taken the life out of the team. Yeah. It's taken the life out of the program. And I'm pretty sure after the things Mac Brown said in his postgame on Saturday and his presser again today, it may have taken the life out of Mac Brown. Well, I mean, look, we we can save that for the end because that can have its own separate part at the end. That that I, I, I just I don't really know how you watch what you saw and basically just try to sell it as, hey, we're getting better. We just played a really good team on the other side. I agree with you on everything. I, I don't I, – I just – there is no way that you should have been embarrassed that way. And you're right. You're right about the first quarter. Go look at it. They they allowed 40 yards in the first quarter. The first quarter, they looked like a – they looked like a defense – that had spent two weeks preparing, had figured out what you know what they were doing wrong, because I felt like they were in the right places. They were making plays. I thought the defensive line was they won the line of scrimmage. Oh, I I think I, I, I thought well, Gene Chizik. You know, I don't Gene think blew anything... up a great you know a great blitz. Yep, like all the little things that we need to do to be a good defensive team. Right, you got to win at the line of scrimmage. You got to blitz your linebackers. You, your your corners were making plays. All the things that we got to do, they did. Yep. And and so I don't know. I don't know if, if the missed field goal was the beginning of the end, but that, that third No, and, it, it was that third, that, it that was third, the third and, seven. and seven where he escaped out of the pocket. He escaped out to the right side and picked up the first down, and that was, that was it. And I mean, there look, was nothing from that moment on. Everything, and this has happened all season for this team. That was that doesn't even qualify as a big play. No, that was but just they a let kid one up. making a play. Georgia State, you saw it. They let up the long touchdown right on the first drive after halftime where Cameron Kelly gets lost in coverage and then takes a terrible angle and lets up a touchdown. Was that Georgia changed, State this year or last year? Changed the whole game. And then, I mean, App State, App State, it was a penalty. Remember, App State, it's the late hit on Cameron Kelly, which wasn't a late hit. That one wasn't on him. That was just a terrible call. Common theme we're starting to see here. to be honest with you, was a fault of the coaching staff for accepting the holding penalty. So that's three plays that if you look back, after that bit of adversity, the team just crumbled. And I don't – that to me – that says so much about the makeup of this team, and that's stuff that you can't change in season. No, that's it's a mindset, it's a culture. Well, that's the thing. And I think again, what you are starting to see with this defense, it, it is is it's very obvious that they did not make enough changes to the coaching staff in the offseason. You tried to I don't put a band aid on it. I I don't really like half a band aid. What was it? 
I don't really one of those little like circular band aids. Like stick, you know, with a little butterfly bandage. Like you, you just kind of you half-heartedly fired some guys. Like you got rid of Jay Bateman, but that was it, and you didn't you didn't change anything else about this group. We said it last year when they made the choice to move on from Jay Bateman. We thought that if there was somebody that was going to go with him, it would be Tim Cross. And I think now we're starting to see that that has to be a move. Look, man, Tim Cross seems like a real cool guy, seems like a real energetic figure in that locker room. I mean, he gave us a shirt. I I have the shirt at my house. He gave us a phrase that I think a lot of people really took to the first year that Mac Brown was back in Chapel Hill. But look, this is a guy that Mac Brown worked with at, a, at at another stop. I can't remember exactly which one it was. I think it was at Texas, maybe somewhere along the line. This is one that right now is not working. And you should have moved on from him in the offseason. And look, another one, and I'm going to tell you, and we've heard it from other people that know him personally, Dre Bly is a tremendous recruiter. There is no doubt that he is extremely valuable to what you do on the recruiting trail. And if you can keep this guy a part of your staff, you can. You cannot have him as your cornerback's coach nope. moving forward. That that simply cannot happen. Look, you tried it, and and I, I will I will say that I was one that believed that it would work. You tried to bring in Charlton Warren to help him out as the overseer of the defensive backs. And I thought, okay, this is a solid move. This could work because Charlton Warren has done this before. And look at how quickly he turned things around in the defensive backfield when he was here the first time. And I I, I just, you're four games in and it's just not working. The other, look, I will say this. I thought, Saturday was probably the best that the corners have played all season. Is that a good thing? I don't really know. Because I think in part, the reason they played so well was because Michael Mayer was wide open half the game. So I don't really know how excited to be about their performance. But it's still not a unit that's performing great. And I think at this point, you know, you have to start looking at wholesale changes to the defensive side of the ball. And look, man, I'm not at this point yet. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter that are already at this point. I've seen a lot of people on Facebook that are already at this point. Although they on Facebook they were probably at that point when he was hired. Didn't before the first game. Because Facebook people are insane. We love you that read the blog on Facebook though. But Gene Chizik, I'm telling you, man, unless this thing gets turned around quickly it's going to be really hard for him to keep his job beyond this year, man, because this could be a historically bad defense. I mean, you are talking about a defense that is in the bottom 10 in the country with five, with multiple five stars on the defensive side of the football. This is what happens when you have a coach hire his buddies to come and coach with them because that's what he did. And look, at the time, it made sense. Because when we brought Mac back, he hadn't been in the game for five years. So he was bringing back guys he was comfortable with, guys that he knew, 
guys that he was still maybe talking to in production meetings when he was calling games for ESPN. It made a lot of sense on the surface. But when you're talking about the expectations that he's talked, not 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 that we set, he was the guy that said, we're coming back to win like we did in the 90s, to finish what we started in the 90s. It's a program that was on the brink of being a national contender year in, year out. That's not our expectation. That's Those are his words. And so when you say that, and then you go out there and you demand the things that you demanded to have a sold-out Keenan Stadium, this fan base has done a fantastic job filling out that stadium the years that we've been allowed in. COVID I mean, took they us did away it again and- on Saturday, man. That I told you, I said this, I tweeted this out, and I told you this when we were there at right around 12 o'clock. I said, dude, walking by, a lot of the bars there, four corners, packed, sup dogs, packed. Might as well that we went and set and watched games at. Absolutely packed. packed. Like, uh, that is the most, that is the best environment and the most amount of people that I have seen on on Franklin Street before a Tar Heel football game since 2019's game, the home opener against Miami. So, look, you challenged us to fill your stadium up. Fan base has responded. You you asked for money to renovate the locker rooms. You've got a you've got one of the best locker rooms in the country. You're expanding on your weight rooms and all that stuff in the also as a part of the stadium. You've got one of the best indoor practice facilities in the country. So you asked for a lot. The athletic department finally ponied up mm-hmm. and they're paying. They're paying for the new locker rooms, the upgraded facilities for the coaching staff. With that comes winning. And when you don't win, you got to make tough decisions. And sometimes that tough decision is firing your friends. And I was probably one of the first to very vocalize my displeasure with Dre Bly, but I'm sitting here today and I'm, I'm and I'm validated. He's a great recruiter and he is as good an ambassador for UNC as you can find that played football at Carolina. Bar none. There's not a better ambassador for what we're trying to do here than probably Dre Bly. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean he can coach at the college level. Tim Cross is a very good recruiter. That doesn't mean he can coach. And Tommy Thickpin is probably the guy I'm the least displeased with because you're asking linebackers that, yes, I know Power Eccles missed three tackles, and I know Cedric Gray has had rough moments. But those are the two dudes that I can look at and say, for 60 minutes, they fought, and they've played hard. Yeah. And, and and their mistakes are usually a direct reflection of trying to cover up everyone else's mistakes. Well, I mean, you can also, and I, I mean, I don't, I, again, with this position group, I don't know how it's coached. The Jack position, I have no idea how exactly that is coached. But, I mean, Noah Taylor, I think, has also fought hard this year as well. And And here's the thing. These guys are fighting hard. I think it is becoming very, very evident that a lot of these guys are not being put in the right positions to make plays. I mean, dude, just look, just looking at 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 what they were doing defensively against the run the other day. I mean, you allow 287 rushing yards to a team that came into the game averaging. 117.7 yards per game. I mean, dude, the two guys that you faced on the ground, 
nearly doubled their production from the season the other day. I mean, Audric Esteme was, he was running all, you had no solution for him. And look, part of it was that, yeah, your guys just got blown off the ball. There was no doubt about that. On the interior, I mean, you were getting destroyed. I I counted it up last night as a group that will be a part of the stock report in the trending down category. And that's the interior of the defensive line that was just getting manhandled. They allowed 129 yards and two touchdowns right up the middle of the defense, in between the tackles. I mean, it's just, you have to be, if you cannot take care of that area, which you should because you've recruited well in there. I mean, you mentioned it, you said it the other day. Where are two five-star guys that are in there? Where's Travis Shaw, which we saw more of him, credit to... To, to the staff there for at least getting him into the game when things were starting to get out of hand and trying something different. But where's the other five-star? Where's Keyshawn Silver? Where's Kedrick Bingley-Jones? Let's start seeing some of those dudes in there because I, I'm going to tell you right now, man, we had really high expectations for him this season. Man, Miles Murphy ain't cutting it right now. Not, not on the interior of that defensive line, man. He has been silent and... That just cannot happen in games like this because this is what teams are going to want to do to you the rest of the way. Raymond Voasic, man, I, I get it. I'm glad you came back for an extra year. We were glad, but here's the thing. Right now, you are not doing – you're not producing at the level that you need to to be playing starters reps on the interior of that, offense, of that defensive line. We got to start seeing some of these other guys. And here's my thing with the lack of substitutions. Because I-, I said it. I said the other uh, the other day when they kept rolling the same dudes out there over and over again. I just, this is like putting a fighter that is just clearly done, throwing no punches, back out into a ring. I mean, you you know that your your guy is taking a beating. Your defense is taking a beating. Why are you continuing to put the same guys out on the field? Just try something else. Because what is what's going to change if you put those guys in there? What are you going to let up points? Well, hell, you're already doing that. You're already letting up touchdowns. You're already letting them run all over you. And guess what? It's not just on the interior of the line either. You let up you, you let up 57 yards on seven carries off the left edge of your defense. You couldn't you you couldn't contain. Like it is basic stuff and it's the same stuff that you has frustrated us for years. And I'm going to tell you, man, we saw some bad stuff from this group last year in terms of just the culture of the defense. To get back to that word, You are seeing, I I think the stuff is even worse this year. The miscommunications, the big plays. Those were two things that we heard immediately from day one. Gene Chizik come in and talk about, and Charlton Warren, when they were first brought in in their introductory press conferences, we heard both of those. Those are big focuses for us. And we heard throughout the preseason that those were big focuses. Now, I'll give Gene Chizik credit. He did say at one point it was about midsummer that there were still there was still a lot of work to do. But as you got closer and closer to the season, that really wasn't what they were telling you. 
And now we've gotten to the point where we're asking, well, those things aren't cleaned up. And and I think this is the other big thing. And I said it to you when we were getting prepared for this podcast. There are way too many egos on this football team, on that defensive side of the ball, and there are way, there's way too much finger pointing going on with these guys. There are way too many guys that are saying to themselves, I'm doing my job, but somebody else is making a mistake. Well, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter because nope. you're still letting up big plays. And at this point, I don't who, – who in the hell on that defense is watching that and saying, I'm doing my job? Because you – half of you ain't – you're not doing anything. The, the, I'm going to be real with you. The worst part about the egos, because that was pointed out um, by a film guy on Twitter, you're losers. You're talking about a, a collective group that have accomplished nothing. They have they haven't been good defensive players. They haven't been a good defensive team. And so what? I mean, what, you look. You've got guys that are still on the team from 2020. But I'm going to tell wasn't you, a good defensive if, team. If you think that's, I mean, that's the thing. I would say that was an average defensive team, and that's all we're asking you to be. But there are, I mean, there are so many guys on this defense that I think came in with a five-star rating, a four-star rating, and they're thinking that, hey, man, I know my talent's here. Well, guess what? It sure as hell ain't showing up on the field right now. And and the the biggest issue that, that exists in this program is there's, there's a lack of accountability from top to bottom. And so there's no reason to, to pull players – when they're playing bad, because that would mean that you're holding them accountable for screwing up. That doesn't happen here, and that's that that that's a big thing because th- sitting sitting on the bench is the best message you can send. Like we talk about, you know, running them or doing all this type of stuff. The bench is the best motivator that exists. Which what did we what did we hear in the preseason? By the way. We heard that in the preseason, they were using the bench as a way to motivate guys. One of the main reasons that they had that practice where the media was not allowed into the the Monday practice was because apparently the depth chart wasn't set yet, and every practice mattered. We heard Mac Brown tell us, hey... Every practice matters. They're, the depth chart is fluid. If a guy's struggling, we're putting him on the bench. Well, you sh- you're sh- you're not doing that now. Nope. We have seen the same dudes out there over and over again. What was you made one change throughout the day that I that I noticed, and other than that, there was nothing else. And that was switching out Geo Biggers for Don Chapman at boundary safety. Other than that. Most of the time, it looked like the same guys. I mean, the only other time you made a switch was when you took Tony Grimes off the field after he punched his own damn teammate. And you put in Legend Cavazos. Which, by the way, where the hell has he been? You 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 brought him in. He plays in the game against App State. I mean, I know he got beat a couple of times over the top, but... So did I everybody mean, else. Hell, Storm Duck's been getting beat over the top all season. And we don't see him? Like, let's start rotating some of these other guys in. Let's start trying to find a solution. And look, man, it's it's definitely on Mac Brown, but it's on the whole defensive coaching staff. 
Like, are you not sick and tired of this? Because I'm, I'm sure as hell done with this. I'm over it. Like, I, I'm, ti- I, I'm tired of, I, are we supposed to be satisfied with what we saw in 2020? Like, we're recruiting at, a, at, at the highest level that we have ever recruited at as a program during the modern recruiting era. Because, I mean, look, during the 90s, they were probably recruiting at a higher level. But since the early 2000s, when they started to put out these ratings and everything like that, Carolina has never recruited better, more consistently. Even Butch Davis didn't recruit that that, that well. He had he, he had a couple of classes towards the end that were in this same echelon, but when he first got here, he wasn't. Mac Brown did it from the minute that he got here. But now... I mean, you're you're not even remotely developing these players. And nope. you know what? I wanted to leave this for the end, but since we're doing this right now, we might as well just continue with this. Mac Brown deserves a lot of the blame for what is happening right now, if not all of it. Because at this point, it should be very obvious to people after what he said in the postgame the other day that this dude is, I mean, this dude's losing it. Like, sir, like you, you must be going a little bit insane if you watch. He said, and I quote, that weirdly enough, this defense is getting better. What, I mean, what in the hell are you watching? There is being positive, and then there is being downright, I mean, just, just, uh, not clueless. Well, he's, he's lying. That's I mean I just like how that, how soft do you think these dudes are on this team man This is a this is a coach that that right now is in denial Yeah that's the best way to put it man And the the thing is is that we've seen this act before and that was with the guy that we fired to to bring you back And and that look, that press conference I said it. I said it talking to somebody today. That press conference felt like a 2018 Larry Fedora press conference, where it was everybody else, including uh, including players on the team, can probably see what is happening, and you're looking and saying, "Now nah, we're all right here." And look, don't look. Don't get it wrong. It, it takes a lot to look in the mirror. And and I, I look, I'm not, I'm not saying it's time to move on from Mac Brown. I'm not saying that he deserves to be fired, because as bad as the last year and a third have been, I still think he's as good as a guy that exists to lead this program and get us where we want to get to. But you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say we're not getting where we want to get to, and I'm a reason why, and that's not happening. And I think that was one of the things that was maybe the most raw emotion about whenever we saw Roy Williams retire was that he he blamed himself, that he was the downfall for for where the program had come. And but in a lot of ways, when you go back and you look at last year, you could see where what he was saying was accurate. We have never heard Mac Brown really take accountability for what. When something goes wrong, why it goes wrong. He'll credit the other team, and there's nothing wrong with crediting the other team. But there is something wrong with saying, 
you know, we worked on this all week in practice, and then today it screwed up and we didn't fix it. That never happens here. It's just we're going to credit the other team and our guys are doing all the right things. No, they're not. And if you think the things that you're doing in practice and the things you are doing in the games are the right things to do, then take Gene and take yourself back to ESPN. I mean, look, man, if if it's if that's true, if you guys are really practicing that great and you're just executing that great in practice, and then when it comes to game day it ain't working, then yeah, it's 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 like it's over. You're not that that's not gonna how's that gonna save your job? Like that is not going to save your job if you cannot win games. Because ultimately we know what matters in any sport. It is about winning. Yep. If you don't win, you don't have a job. And this is the tight this is the concern that we had when we started hearing from some of the other people. It was it is very rare that a rehire in college football works. It's 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 worked before. Bill Snyder is a tremendous example. And we brought that up a lot after they made the hire. Greg Schiano at Rutgers, I think, has proven a lot of people wrong, but that's Rutgers. Yeah, and I mean, but that's that's still ongoing too. So I guess you got to kind of see ultimately where that's going. The other thing, though, with Greg Schiano, is look at how much younger Greg Schiano is than than Mac Brown is. And Mac Brown is a guy that look, man, we know it from Roy. Older guys are stuck in their ways. It worked back when they. Won championships, which, I mean, look, Mac Brown has a championship pedigree. He's done it before. He referenced when he hired Gene Shizik back about the fact that Gene was his defensive coordinator on that team. But that was a totally different era. It was a exactly. Different, it was a different sport. And that's why you just have to start wondering. But even, even beyond that, the concern to me is... And again, I'm not, look, you don't have to be the guy that brings a list up to the podium and list off the players that didn't play well, that made mistakes. You don't have to attack certain guys. But the thing that you do not want to hear is basically you just saying, we got beat by an elite team when the team on the other side of you is very far from an elite team. I mean... Look, before the season started, you maybe could have tried to sell us. You maybe could have tried to sell us on that. I think most of us even then knew, man, Notre Dame ain't the fifth best team in the country. Well, Mac Brown sure as hell went and sold them like they were the other day. He told us that was the best team that he's seen. Yep. And he meant, and he said, since I've been back at Carolina, that's the best team I've seen. Remember that you brought in the number one team in the nation with Trevor Lawrence and back played in them for 2019. Four um, you brought in the number two team in the country back in 2020. You know what team that was? Notre Dame. You brought Notre Dame into your building. And you played them closer. A team that was wildly better than this Notre Dame team. If I mean, are you seriously trying to tell me that you think that the Ian Book, Kyron Williams led Notre Dame team of 2020 is a worse team than a than this year's team that lost to Marshall and nearly got beat by Cal. 
Like, it's just, that. that is an insane quote. And that's the type of stuff that just drives you insane. Because that's, at, it's, you're not even focusing on your team. You're basically trying to pat these guys on the back. And then, the group you're most crucial of is the offense. Really? Because what I saw was... Your offense saved you from being absolutely embarrassed to the point where the ACC may have kicked you out of the damn conference. Like, I, I just, that, the de- the denial that he seems to have, I mean, it just, it scares you. Because at this point, I mean, is he not seeing it? Is he not seeing what we're seeing here? Because if not, man, it's, I, I hate to say it, it's time to step away because this team, this defense is not one that you should be looking for excuses for. Nope, and I think this is something where, you know, they they talk about it. He talks about it every week on his radio show that they have accountability Sunday, and that's where they go over the film as a team and all that. I just want to know what the what the message is in, in, in the room because – You've you've screwed up things gigantically in all four games. You have made massive mistakes that you shouldn't make, and you've made them week after week after week. and And to criticize your offense is a real bold strategy. Did did Phil Longo maybe call his best game on Saturday? No. Did did uh did Drake May maybe? Stay in the pocket long enough to make the plays develop? No. Did you run the ball the way you thought you were going to be able to run the ball on Saturday? No. But you take away that offense, you're talking about a team that probably would have lost to App State, would have lost to Georgia State, and you would have probably barely beaten an FCS opponent in FAMU. Like, and look, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make excuses for the offense because. The, you know, Phil Longo should have stuck with a run more, and Drake May should have trusted his offensive line more. But they're not the issue here. Now, you, you, you know, you, you you take those guys away, and and you don't get beat. You you don't get just blown out at home. You get embarrassed. You take away this this offense, and the way they're playing right now, this team is Georgia Tech. And they just I fired mean, you, their coach and their athletic be, director. You would be getting stomped repeatedly, week in and week out. And I just, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Like, I, I just, it does not make sense to me how you are taking. And 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 the concern is not even what is going on in the media. It's is this the same message that is being sent in the locker room? Are you patting the defensive players on the back and saying, well, at least, you know, <laughs> you guys just got faced with, you know, with a tough team, tough matchup. And the offense, you're saying, look, you guys got to be better. I mean, again, if you're an offensive player at this point, are you not looking over on the other side like, what? I mean, what the hell are we doing? And I mean, at this point, you can't even really blame them. So, I, I mean, it's just, it has to get turned around, and it has to be soon. And I think right now, you know, we're, we're kind of 
we're, we're kind of s- selling this defense. We, we're labeling this defense for what it is, and I don't think it's going to change. You're four games in now. You know that this defense is a liability that is going to cost you games. It's just now, can your offense prepare itself to step up and score 40, 45 a game to be able to win you games in the ACC? I mean, can this team, can this team get to a bowl game? I think is now the question that starts creeping in after a 3-0 and start. And I, I mean, I think that's just, that's, that's scaring people. Um you know, we, we got into really focusing on the defense and, and, and really just focusing on everything that's going on around the team. And I think that's that's something that had to be talked about in this podcast, no doubt. But let's get back into the specifics of the game here. And I think, you know, we talked about it. The key to this game was the trenches. No doubt about it. And Carolina was dominated on both sides. And, and, and like you said, I thought... The first quarter, both units for Carolina in the trenches did a pretty good job out of the gate. I thought the offensive line on that first drive of the game looked really, really solid. Um, Now, I thought for them, things kind of turned on that second drive of the game. But still, I mean, they got off to to a pretty good start. And the defensive line... You know, it looked promising early on. And we didn't, you know, we weren't really shocked by that because the last two years, the last two matchups with them, I should say, you know, Carolina had handled themselves down there with probably lesser talent than they were facing on the other side. Well, in this game, the talent seemed relatively even, but the final three quarters of the game weren't even remotely close to even. Um, the offensive line, look, not everybody struggled down there. I think you still have to give credit to Awesome Richards, to Corey Gaynor. I think those guys played well once again. But guys like Ed Montalus and Spencer Rolland had rough days. I mean, you had Ed Montalus two sacks allowed once again. That's the second straight game that he's allowed two sacks and has allowed... And, and allowed four pressures to go along with the six that he allowed against Georgia State. And then you had Spencer Rollins, five total pressures off the edge at right tackle. You know, they, they've got to, I think this offensive line unit is better, but how much better I think is still a bit of a question mark. And you've got to find more consistency from those guys up front if Carolina's offense is going to continue to be the offense that we saw in the first three games of the season. Yeah, because, I mean, when you look around the country and you see these high-powered offenses, look, that's one thing when, you know, when Matt came back, he, he talked about, you, know, you got to have an offense that can score 40 points a game. He referenced Oklahoma a lot in, the, in that press conference. But you look at the Ohio States, the Bamas, USC now with Lincoln Riley out there. Still what Oklahoma's doing in Norman. Ole Miss. And I can keep going on and on. But they have dominant offensive line play. And and look, that that's what you need now. Because the talent in the ACC on the defensive side of the ball 
is up there. Like, you, you see NC State's defensive line every year. They're a top 10 to 15 unit in the country right now, year in, year out. You hope to one day see Clemson in an ACC title game. You're going to start seeing them every three years. That's a top five defensive line in the country, year in, year out. You know, you're playing the Notre Dames. You're, 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 you've, you've scheduled and you will play high-profile non-conference games against opponents that have legit defensive line talent. And so that's that's still something where I think I think they took a step even this year. It, on paper, they probably look they probably they, they probably looks like they got beat up more up front against Notre Dame than they did last year when they went on the road and 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 and, and really played tough. But it just shows that yes, you've recruited that line, you've you've recruited that position very well and you've you've really addressed it. But this is where three years of Stacey Searles being your offensive line coach really shows up because these guys aren't as developed, as advanced as you probably expect them to be, as they probably should be. And then that shows up against a team that has had your number the last the last couple of years. As for the defensive line, I, I I don't I don't really I don't really know. I think Ray Vowasik peaked the final three games of the 2019 season. And he came, you know, he came back. He entered that next year with expectations, and he fell flat on his face. Came back, fell, you know, and it hasn't gotten better. I'm done with Des Evans. I think Cayman Rucker is a nice player, but you saw on Saturday he can get flushed out and be a non-factor very quickly. Struggled to contain the edge. You, you know, I I want to see more. I want to see more Javari Ritzy. I think we need to see. You I mean, know, I, got, I got to be Jones. honest. I got to be honest. Ritzy's been playing a lot early in the year, and I haven't really seen much from him either. So you know, I I think that's which again I think goes back to coaching. When well, you got I, that many different dudes that are just failing to show up, I think it's coaching, and I think the other group that we haven't talked about that's in there is the strength and conditioning group. You're just not strong enough. And that I, I thought I thought that was that was very obvious the other day. If you needed anybody to tell you, first of all, if the games against Florida A and M, Georgia State, and and even App State, which I mean, look, man, you got to give credit. App State recruits at a really good level for a group of five school. But the fact that you had moments where your defensive line was not only beaten by an offensive line, but dominated at different points of those games. I think that just kind of tells you all you need to know that they're not coaching these guys right. They're not putting on the strength that they need to to be able to move guys out of the way. And it's it's showing up for the defensive line. Well, and there I gotta tell you, right now, until you get rid of Tim Cross, there are no solutions up there. You know, that's that's the point I'm at. We we hear a lot in the NFL. You got to have three things to win. You got to have a quarterback. You got to have a left tackle. And you have a pass rusher. That's kind of the same thing now in college football. In this era, you got to have a quarterback. You've got that in Drake May. Yep, Dr- Drake May. You, you could argue he's on pace to break everything Sam Howell did as a freshman at Carolina. That's a pretty hard thing to do. He's on pace to do that. But you don't have a left tackle. That is a premier left tackle, and you do not have. I mean, you got awesome Richard. Look, he wasn't. He, he's not that's a premier not, left tackle. That's and, not the problem. I mean, he had if unless unless he allowed the pressure the other day, he had not allowed a pressure so far to start the season. He yeah, is but, off to a tremendous you, start. You played FAMU, App State, who lost home to James Madison, and a winless Georgia State team. I mean, it doesn't matter. You play who's in front of you. The problem, 
The problem, and I don't, if I remember correctly, he did not allow a pressure in this game. The problem on your offensive line the other day is one, Ed Montalis got beat by the same move twice by a defensive tackle. And, and, and I don't know if it was a stunt. I don't believe it was, but it was just a guy that literally just pretty much gave him an outside pass rushing move to his left, and he got blown by. And he allowed a, a bunch of pressure. It's it's back-to-back games now. And it makes you wonder, especially with a guy like Brian Anderson, who's a veteran, who's done it before, or a guy like Jonathan Adorno, who showed a lot of promise to the point where they felt comfortable with starting him in the game against Georgia State. They, they were very confident going into that game that he could handle himself. You have to wonder if they get to the point where they put him in there. And then in terms of right tackle, man, we heard last week – that Spencer Rollin was potentially going to be looked at at right guard. Well, I'm going to tell you, you might want to experiment with it because right tackle wasn't your issue in the game against Georgia State. William Barnes wasn't the issue in that game. Most of the pressure came from that left guard spot with Ed Montalas. So I think you may have to experiment with that. I think up there, there are some, some tweaks that you can make to find your best five, and I think you could have a chance to still be pretty solid. I have confidence that Jack McNell Jr. can find the solution up there. On the defensive side, I just, I don't, I'm not there. I'm not at that point. I was there a couple of weeks ago that, hey, man, maybe they just have to start rotating certain guys in. Maybe you just need to start giving other guys more snaps. Well, first of all, that's not happening. We're seeing the same starting group run out there. We're seeing the same guys play the majority of the snaps. And I just I don't think that there is really much else that anybody else is going to be able to do because I just don't have the faith in the coaching staff at this point. I mean, you do not get blown off the ball by an average offensive line at best for 287 yards. Now, the one thing that I will say I'm concerned with for the offensive line, I'm concerned with the fact that they struggled to run the ball yet again. The run blocking has not been good so far out of the gate, especially early in games. And look, we didn't get to find out how good it would have been late in the game for Carolina because they were having to play from behind. So their game plan was pretty much throw it and throw it as often as you could as it should have been, but this is an offensive line that has gotten off to slow starts in terms of run blocking in three consecutive games now. They did a good job to open the season against Florida A&M right out of the gate, providing running lanes, but really since then, App State, slow start. You had to pick up most of your running yards in the late third, early fourth quarter. Georgia State, the majority of your yards came with the long, the long run play at the end of the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, pretty much the exact same recipe as App State. And then in this game, you ran for 66 yards total. And a, major, a, a good majority of Drake May's rushing yards, he carried it 13 times for 36 yards, were off of scrambles. You average 2.8 yards per carry. Like, that's the one area to me that is really concerning about this offensive line. 
I think it's just who they are. I think I think they're going to be a offensive line that gets better as the as the game goes as the game moves on, and their whole mo is to to wear you down and turn those three to four yard runs into you know seven eight yard runs in the fourth quarter, which isn't a bad philosophy. That's kind of the whole genesis of being a running team is that you wear the opponent down, and Carolina did that the first three games of the year where they just plugged along. And by the second half, they worn down their opponent. But those opponents were FAMU, App State, and Georgia State. You're going to wear those guys down. It's going to be a lot harder to wear down Notre Dame. But the only way you can wear them down is if you stick with the run game. And and I just I, I think that's still something that Phil Longo gets discouraged with is that if 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 the run game has a bad series or a bad sequence, and they give up a touchdown or something like that. There's so much pressure he feels to score, and he knows he can do it with his passing game because you've got Drake May, you've got Josh Downs, you've got weapons on the passing game. But then it makes your offense that much easier to defend if they know you're going to just going to become a pass-heavy offense. And, and so I think it's just something where it was it was just it was a it was a bad storm all around on Saturday when it, when when it went wrong defensively. You could feel the offense start pressing because they felt the the, the the pressure to score. Oh, I'm with you. I'm blame, I, I blame the defense for the offense's inefficiency. And, and so when that didn't happen, oh, yeah. that, that's probably it's been the biggest gripe about Phil Longo since he's gotten here. But I, 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 I understand where he's coming from, where you have to have that, where, where that's your need, but there is value in sticking to your guns and just sticking with the running game and – you know, it's something that hopefully they'll learn from and be better for next week. Well, it's the, the offense looked pretty much exactly like it did a year ago, which was an offense that put up really good numbers. But when you look back at it, it wasn't exactly the most efficient offense, the most the most efficient way to play offensively. Because as I mentioned, in the middle portion of the game, Carolina went six straight drives without scoring a t- scoring at all. And like we've said, that is something that you have to eliminate from your game if you want to have any chance. You, you, look, man, you can put up these points in a hurry. There's no doubt about that. And they did it late in the game. But that's what they did a year ago at times that I think made a lot of games look a lot better than they were. And I think they did. They, they This was a classic example of that on Saturday. Carolina had two late touchdown throws from Drake May to Antoine Green. And at the end of the day, you walked away saying, well, this team scored 32 points. They threw for 301 yards. And you say, all right, 376 yards when you only run the ball for 66. It's not a bad day offensively. It wasn't. But your offense disappeared in the middle of the game. And those are the types of things that you've got to be able to avoid moving forward. Look, man, Drake May was still pretty outstanding. And I'm not saying that you got to eliminate the big plays. But the thing that this offense was able to do so well the first three weeks of the season was they were able to methodically move the ball up and down the field consistently and to be honest with you that's the first time that we had really seen that since that 2020 season 
Because when you go back to that 2020 season, mainly, yeah, a little bit more of that 2019 season, they started hitting some of the some of the bigger plays in 2020. But really, even throughout the 2020 season, especially on in the ground on the ground, it was still a team that didn't hit a whole lot of home run plays. They moved the ball down the field methodically, and that was what made them so efficient. And I think that Saturday you you saw an offense that looked like 2021 at times. And I think that's something that is a little bit scary because that's that's not a that, that's not the way that you are going to put up 40 45 points like you need to throughout the season. And and I think a lot of it has to do with that offensive line. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this this group feels a lot of pressure to put points on the board and do it fast because this defense is giving up yards, especially the other day. You're talking about a Notre Dame team that held the ball for 38 minutes. So Carolina felt like they needed to go fast. They needed to put a points up quickly to have any chance of getting themselves back in the game or, or for the early part of the game, sticking around in the game. But, I mean, look, Drake May, you still got to give him a shout-out. Him and him, Antoine Green and Josh Downs, I think, are the three guys that you got to shout-out. Josh Downs looked pretty good in his first game back. He didn't light it up, but he had two touchdowns. He did a great job. Both of his touchdowns, I mean, for the first one, the lob throw to the end zone where he just absolutely jumps over a guy to catch the ball, mosses him in the air, um, was was tremendous. And then I thought the second touchdown was a, an unbelievable route that he ran to free himself up. And then Antoine Green, you know, got open twice. He had a big drop earlier in the game where he got open as well. So that that's not the issue for him. He's going to give you that ability to take the top off the defense. You would just love to have that one in the third quarterback. Or no, that was in the that was actually before halftime. That was in the second quarter. Um, you would have loved to have that one back because that could have been a huge play at the time for Carolina. So those guys definitely deserve a shout-out, no doubt about it. And Drake May with five passing touchdowns in the game, another 300-yard passing game, 36 yards on the ground, tried to do everything that he could to will this team to victory, much like Sam Howell did a year ago. But that's the thing that is so scary is that the comparisons from what you saw in the game on Saturday are so similar to 2021 and what plagued this team a year ago. And the press conference afterwards sounded like a press conference from the 2018 season. That combination, I think, has a lot of people fearful. And it's it's got a lot of people on social media talking about the direction of this program at 3-1. and one, A place where I don't think heading into the other day we thought we were going to be at. Because I don't think any of us thought that there was a chance Carolina was going to get blown out in this game. And that's what they did. I know the final score was a 13-point game. Carolina got was getting blown out. They were down by 24 and 25 points at different points of the game. That qualifies as a blowout, especially to that pathetic Notre Dame offense. So where does Carolina go from here? We'll see. Mac Brown's Monday press conference, 
Not really all that encouraging. Pretty much a lot of the same stuff of pretty much, I, I mean, at this point, I wonder if Mac Brown and the coaches poll cast his vote for Notre Dame as the number one team in the country. Because that man can sure sell the Irish program. He may have actually landed them a couple of recruits from how well he has sold them over the past couple of days. But for now, I think we, as Carolina fans, we just, you wait. And we said it earlier when we were getting ready to sit down and record this podcast. Saturday is a massive game for this program and for this coaching staff that is currently in place, mainly Mac Brown. If you don't win that game on Saturday, there is going to be legitimate buzz, especially if the defense struggles again and you give a similar performance in the press conference to start looking elsewhere for the head coaching position moving forward. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll let you hear this week's ad from DraftKings. And then when we come back, we've got a note on a Tar Heel player, rather an under-the-radar important player for the Tar Heels that has entered the transfer portal as of today. And last night, Carolina did flip a commitment from ECU, a guy that is one of Carolina's two remaining targets in the class. I'll tell you about those two uh, notes real quickly when we come back on the Heel Tough Vlog podcast back right after this. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings Step It Up Same Game Parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubbard two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. So let's get to our closing notes here. And uh, the Toriels, as I mentioned, they do lose a guy that a lot of people probably don't talk about a whole lot on this team, but was quietly a pretty important piece for this Toriels special teams unit. 
kicker Jonathan Kim entered the transfer portal on Monday. That according to head coach Mac Brown in his press conference. Uh, reportedly, uh, according to Mac Brown, what he was told was that um, – John Kim told him that, look, I, I want an opportunity to be able to place kick, not just be the kickoff specialist, which he has been for each of the past two years. And uh, Carolina right now seems like they are pretty sold on Noah Burnett uh, as their guy. So Jonathan Kim is going to leave. Um, a, a, an extremely successful kickoff man for Carolina each of the past three years actually took over the duties midway through the 2019 season and had a lot of success with it as well. Uh, and since he took over back in 2019, his touchback rate is 79.3%, which is one of the higher ones in college football. So this is going to be something to watch over the next few weeks with him now not being there. Noah Burnett is now taking over those duties is he a guy that can sort of keep that same consistency uh, or is Carolina's kick return coverage unit going to have to be a little bit better than they have been the last few years? I mean, look, to, just to reference how good he has been, he has, uh, I mentioned that touchback percentage, but he has, he has failed to allow more than 15 kickoffs to be returned in a season in each of the last four years, and he was off to a tremendous start again this season. So I know it's not talked about a lot how valuable a kickoff specialist can be, but Carolina has a re- had a really good one, and he is now in the transfer portal. So it will be interesting to see. Also, they lose their backup kicker as well. So that means Carolina now with just two place kickers on the roster because earlier Back in the offseason, you lost uh, another walk-on from a year ago in Tegan Linderink, who entered the transfer portal as well. He transferred to Liberty. So Carolina now with just two kickers uh, in that room. So if Noah Burnett struggles, it's either Todd Pledger or that's it. So uh, there is it, it is a little bit thinner there than I think Carolina was maybe expecting. Meanwhile, on the 2023 recruiting trail, Carolina with just two targets that remained in the class. Well, it is down to one now. Uh, Carolina is, of course, still going to have to take care of some of the guys that they do have committed to the class. But they add their 19th commitment last night. Three-star cornerback Ty Adams out of the state of Georgia, Swainsboro High School. A guy that plays on both sides of the ball. He has played a lot of quarterback for them over the last three years. A rather raw guy when it comes to the defensive side of the football. But it provides some versatility. Can play corner. Has played safety this year. Has also played a pretty good amount of nickel this year as well for them. And is also a guy that uh, has track speed, and it really shows up on film. He has really good closing speed, breaks on the ball extremely well. But as I mentioned, with him having to split time between corner and quarterback, and especially with the fact that he is a quarterback out of all of them, usually, I mean, if you got a guy that splits between corner and wide receiver, maybe even quarter and running back, it's not as important. But when you've got a guy that's playing quarterback, that has to study a playbook, that has to do all the things that quarterbacks have to do in practice, it is really tough for you to get the reps that you need at corner. So this is a guy that's going to be coming in as a project. Carolina, I think, is looking for some of those types of guys to add to 
this class, especially with the fact that if if he is going to be a corner, Carolina's already got two commits in the class that they feel pretty confident in, uh, in Trey Miller and Caleb Koss. So uh, I think this is just a little bit of insurance for Carolina for a secondary that sure as hell needs it. I think we've seen that early on this season, that Carolina is going to need as much depth back there as possible. Frankly, they're going to need as much op- as many different options as possible to give them as much competition as they can possibly get in that room moving forward and continue to build that depth that they need so badly. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you guys head over to the website. We have articles up about both Jonathan Kim and Ty Adams on the website that you guys can check out. My recap article is up there. We're getting the stock report up. That one was pushed back just a little bit because of the two announcements that we just talked about, but that is going to go up soon. Make sure you guys check that out and also uh, make sure that you guys are checking out Ashton's analysis of the game. Uh, we have, you know, he's our new writer. He's been rolling through the season here for the first three games. Now he's got to break down a loss, read his breakdown of what he saw in the game on Saturday. Also check out his press conference takeaways. Those will be up on the website as well for you guys to check out from Mac Brown's press conference earlier today. And then we will circle back. Uh, Josh is going to have the Trench Report article as well. I forgot about that. That is going to be coming out on Wednesday. And then that'll kind of wrap up everything for Notre Dame as we then turn our attention to that extremely important game against Notre Dame. I'll have the preview and then we'll run through that same gamut that we just told you about after the game against Virginia Tech. And it's all one place, HeelToughBlog.com. Also, make sure you're checking out the basketball article that hits the website today. It is a breakdown. It is Ashton, by the way, that's kicking off our basketball coverage this year. His breakdown of Carolina's best player heading into this upcoming 2022-23 season. The guy that is going to be leading the charge as Carolina looks to avenge last year's national championship loss. It's an individual player breakdown of preseason All-American and Naismith Award favorite Armando Baycott. Make sure you guys check that out on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarius. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.